0: Get your copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment featuring our best of the decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney. The top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our annual Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Support nonprofit independent film journalism. Support film comment. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Ripold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and this is another in our Sundance Film Festival series of podcasts. Uh, We are watching movies. We are walking around, sometimes in snow, sometimes not in snow. Um, And this film festival is known for independent film. Someone told me I should remind that for um, listeners who don't know that. So I've done that. Um, and for this episode, I'm very pleased to be joined by... Uh, Ashley
2: Clark, Director of Film Programming at BAM in Brooklyn, and regular person who comes on here and does some jokes and yes. this uh, and that.
1: And in fact, you were on uh, last year for Sundance for one or maybe a couple episodes, I think.
2: I was on last year and I had the flu. I shouldn't <laughs> have been on it, I shouldn't have been in there. And the first year I came um, to Sundance, I came up and did a podcast and decided to walk up a massive giant hill instead of taking the stairs and i got halfway up and realized i couldn't breathe anymore oh. that was directly after seeing mudbound by d Rees. Oh, wow. so i was already in, yeah in a certain kind of way yeah before i was in another certain kind of way so, so i have a history here so this is very exciting to be back a, a medical history with medical the history with the podcast
1: <laughs> um and also joining us uh is co-pilot
3: devika Girish, assistant editor at film comment I like that we did a nautical metaphor last time, and this time it's... It's
1: health air- scares. Aro- it's aeronautical. Yeah. yeah, aeronautical. <laughs> That's right. And then I'm going to work my way through the sports uh, metaphors afterwards. Um, but um, we, we should... Well, Ash, I mean, how's your festival going generally? Um, what's your impression of this year's edition? Do you pay attention to deals that are happening, or are you happily... What, what is the festival's purpose for you as a programmer?
2: So as a programmer for me, um, obviously we have our annual film festival at BAM called BAM Cinema Fest, which this year runs from June the 11th to the 21st. Um, so the the remit for that is is New York premieres of American independent film. And obviously Sundance is the big kind of kickoff for um, American independent film and, and international uh, independent film in the year. Um And it has been that for many years um so we're just kind of scouting to see what what we think might work for us, what might excite us i'm not overly interested in the in the deal side of things, but some things do catch your eye, like the the Palm Springs acquisition today by neon and Hulu um mm-hmm. in tandem for the a new uh, record for Sundance a purchase yeah, I think Up- it was kajillion dollars it was that kind of thing upwards of seventeen and a half. I think that they added a 69 cents in keeping with the irreverent tone of the movie. I'm interested in the deals uh, up to a point. They're kind of interesting this year. Um, Palm Springs, the, the Lonely Island, Andy Samberg comedy has gone for a record fee. The rights to that have been picked up by Neon and Hulu for uh, northwards of $17 million, which kind of beats the record previously set by Nate, Nate Parker's Birth of a Nation. So those kind of things are always interesting to keep an eye on. Um, And everybody, you know, there's so many delegates here and everybody has got a different read on the festival. Everyone's got a different schedule. So you can say, oh, I'm having a... I'm personally having quite a good festival. I think I've seen a lot of things that have have interested me and have... um, One common theme is stuff I've liked has left me feeling kind of upbeat. And that doesn't always... Sometimes you pick... But by, by pure chance, you'll pick films at a festival to see and it, they'll, they'll be kind of on a downward curve and they'll leave you feeling down and out. But the, the, the films I've seen this year, including Palm Springs, have, have, have been generally upbeat. And it's kind of been nice to kick off the year in that way um, for some, some hopeful cinema. Yeah. But no two people are going to have the same read on how a festival comes together. Yeah. My beat is specifically American. Um, I'll may, maybe take one for myself. Last year, I went. Or watched a Souvenir. The, obviously, which is a beautiful film. And this year, I'm looking to catch The Nest, which I think you guys may or may not have discussed. We
3: have not. Discussed.
2: No, not
1: yet. We,
3: yeah, and I haven't seen either, but it's definitely it was one of the films I really wanted to see. I think I'm just going to have to wait until it comes to New York at this point. You have seen it? I've
2: not seen it yet. Um, So when I say one for me, I just mean that it's a Canadian filmmaker. It's an an English set in England. So it doesn't really qualify as an American film for our our purposes. So I get to Uh steal one for me just to watch for fun in a way, Mm -hmm. to go off my off the beaten track for me but yeah anyway without wanting to go too inside baseball no no um, it's it's that's it's, kind of how i'm coming at this festival as yeah. a programmer um
1: I, since we're on it do you want to just tell us a bit about palm springs since people might be curious about it
2: yeah um in, in short it's a kind of a modern update re, re, fresh ish spin on groundhog day starring andy sandberg um, who's just got a funny face. He doesn't need to do anything. Um, of the Lonely Island and Brooklyn Nine-Nine as a charismatic slacker type, a real, a real stretch for him, um, who gets trapped in some kind of time loop, um, with, which reveals it. So, nar- narratively, it's kind of interesting. It moves at a real clip. I don't think some of the, the, the science maybe checks out hundred percent, but um, <laughs> you're there furiously typing your calculator. I was, I was on Wikipedia during the film to, to cross-reference, um, and you know, speaking up <laughs> right. at things that didn't quite get. No, I'm, ba- I'm crap at science. <laughs> I got bad grades at school. That's why I work in the arts. <laughs> I think all of us. Yeah, I'm not. A, it's a safe space. Yeah, for all indeed. Us. But anyway, <laughs> again, sidetrack. Um, fun moves at a, a real clip. Lots of just great visual gags, witty mm. script, great chemistry w- with the co lead. Um, who the 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 actress for shame? I've forgotten her name, but I believe she was in How I Met Your Mother, Christina something. But but she she's Milo- Christina Miloti. Miloti that, yes, that sounds right. Um, she's really great in it, mm-hmm. and I think it's one of her first major big screen roles. And and in the you know with the news that, that this has been a big the biggest acquisition. Right, really? I found myself when I was watching the film a, a strange feeling, hoping it was a hit it felt like such a throwback not obviously it, it's openly in its debt to groundhog day but mm. it did feel like that kind of nice mix of um a kind of literate script a, a high high concept right. kind of for adults <laughs> um the the kind of film that they scare quotes don't don't make anymore right right no major major stars in it right, kind right, of right. thing i mean yeah. obviously andy sandberg's big big a big star on on tv but not perhaps not necessarily a big yeah, film no, star he did the pop star Never stop popping whatever the whatever <laughs> right. it was called. Yeah. Never stop, never stopping. Um, anyway, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, and, and I definitely recommend people check it out if they get the chance. Very yeah. funny. No,
1: it's it's yeah, it's definitely definitely a sort of film you need to see. But it's it, it's good to hear that your festival has generally been somewhat upbeat. Um, yeah, I yeah. mean,
2: it was a film that I saw. The the, the lines for coffee here are enormous. So I had to take a punt on it without having seen a without for, having drunk coffee in the morning. Wait for which one? For for um oh, a Palm Springs. Oh, oh, okay, right, right. So then. it was. It, I was terrified. I thought I was going to fall asleep, and I needed a film like that to. If I'm not going to have coffee, I need the film. Yeah. that's upbeat and funny and happy to keep me awake. Yeah, and and it did the job. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it's it's kind of derivative in in some ways. It doesn't. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure how, the extent to which it will stand up to to genuine scrutiny mm-hmm. or critical analysis but i uh, did genuinely enjoy it
3: we we were talking about this um a couple of days ago you know what you just said like i feel like there's this trend of people describing what they liked at sundance with a caveat kind of mm. you know and like tempering expectations in 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 a certain way i mean is that something that has always been the case whenever you've come to the festival i feel like there's like this tendency of people to be like it was a great film for sundance
1: oh. Hmm. oh i thought you were going to say that it was people saying like oh you know palm springs i found really funny but i like movies that repeat themselves so that's just kind of my it's a personal you know proclivities
2: but um I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe there is an aspect to that. I mean, I yeah. remember for many years, that you know, that for example, the, the Big Lebowski. I suppose the tide has turned on that now. That it's viewed with a critical seriousness that it wasn't always once. Mm-hmm. It was the kind of film you'd say, "Oh, yeah, I like it, but it's a bit silly," and et etc. Cetera, et cetera. But obviously, time has revealed it to be a work of extreme kind of depth and, and profundity, a, a work and, and of structure, work of perfection. Obviously, <laughs> so that's just one no, kind of think. vague example. But maybe there is a a tendency. Um, not just with myself but other critics to try, to perhaps temper things that might be seen as straightforwardly enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, Perhaps that, to that's make ourselves look a bit more discerning maybe. or intelligent than we really are. Yeah. Um but yeah. I did I did fairly uncomplicatedly <laughs> love. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. Much. There
3: seems to be, there seem to be like a lot of like easy pleasures, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. to be had in the movies here and it's that's not I, a bad thing. No, and yeah. I think we sometimes struggle to talk about that in an intelligent way
1: yeah no i think it's true well is is it the thing where it's like it's harder to it's sometimes easier to to write the negative like you know review to knock on something in many different ways rather than really try to accurately capture and be faithful to what's good or funny or pleasurable about something maybe sometimes that's the case especially in the course of like a six hour deadline or whatever. Yeah.
2: And I suppose the, the other kind of thing to point out in this specific context of talking about these films that literally nobody outside our little bubble has seen yet. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm hesitant to go into too much specific detail about what made me laugh because so much of, of the film's joys are lying in the surprise uh, in the way that the, the, the surprises and the reveals are, are layered um, so I, th- I think the script is really kind of finely tuned. And it did, yeah. you know, the Groundhog Day is not just, th- that That callback is not just in terms of structure, or oh, sorry, not just in terms of the central conceit of, of days repeating themselves over and over again so the characters can can learn and develop or not, as the case may be, but just in terms of the way that that film is so beautifully structured and, and thoughtful. But yeah, they're, 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 I did have a few reservations uh, along... Mm-hmm certain lines which would necessitate me giving way too much plot away. <laughs> so maybe that's another right, right. Um, reason for me being Mr. Caveat. <laughs> but it's a, it's, a hat, it's a hat I enjoy wearing. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of
1: pleasures, I mean, I think another film that would qualify um, for the category of, of, of uh, the, the, the pleasurable and the funny and something you can just keep enjoying um, for the course of it would be 40-year-old version, I think.
2: Yeah uh the the 40-year-old version is the directorial debut of Rada Blank um New York based um playwright and poet and educator um who's who's made this pretty extraordinary film um very extremely autobiographical film about her facing 40 she's teaching um scrappy kids in a, in a in a drama class and has is working on a on a play that she's not She's not feeling full creative control over a play about Harlem, where she's from, and about the, the gentrification of Harlem. But obviously the film digs deep into the external forces in terms of funding and expectation that, that are kind of pushing her to change the, 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 the truth of, of her work. So she's facing all these crises and then uh, decides to, has a light bulb moment and decides to embark on a career in rapping. Um, and, again, in terms of plot, I won't go much beyond there. That, that's the general setup. But the film is beautifully shot. Black and white film um, has a very languid style, v- reminiscent of, of early Spike Lee, lots of beautiful location shooting. You know, there's, you think of those opening passages of She's Gotta Have It. It's got such a specific sense of place. Um, and that's something that, that in certain other titles at Sundance I found sorely lacking a sense of place, you know, knowing, knowing immediately where you are. Even if you don't know what that place is, at least feeling that, that the filmmakers are creating a space, a world for you to inhabit, which correlates to the characters and the way they, they inhabit that world. Um, 40-year-old version has such a beautiful sense of place, gorgeous kind of jazzy score. Again, th- those Spike Lee, I don't want to overdo that referent, that referent, because I don't want the film to sound um, derivative but it, it uses that influence in in all the best kind of ways while also um developing a really intriguing interesting new voice which which balances so many different um creative tensions and 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 storylines and um intrigues in, in a very thoughtful way. One criticism of the film that I've heard um is it's a bit long. It drags a bit flabby. Um it comes in at around 130 minutes, which which is long for a Essentially, a uh, you know, a person. Uh, well, I mean, who's to say it's long um, for for a personal kind of self actualization com-, com, are they gonna put that on the poster? <laughs> a purse act com, P- purse act com, and a self actualization comedy, as everybody Wait, knows. You
3: can't put a time limit on that,
2: precisely. <laughs> as everybody knows, that's my favorite genre <laughs> with some caveats. <laughs> um, but yeah, I frankly didn't have a problem with, with with the length. I found, and that's directly related to the world that it that mm-hmm. it created. I want I I wanted to spend time in that world, um, and I very much enjoyed being on that journey. Um, Rather Blank is a on uh, in contrast to her name is a very expressive performer, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> incredibly captivating screen presence. Very, I hesitate to use the word brave because like mm-hmm. what is brave in screen acting, but. Very just like selfless, g- generous performance with her other um, characters that she she shares space with on the screen, but not afraid to make an ass of herself, as mm-hmm. we'd say yeah. back in England. You know, it's a very yeah. um, self-effacing performance, but she's able to really hit those notes of emotion and make those m- make the the tumultuous moments really, really sing and and really um, really land emotionally. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it is nice in this. Again, I have to be extremely clear here never to sound like I'm complaining about being here, like getting to do this work, because mm-hmm. that's kind of the most crass thing you could do. Ultimately, we are here to watch films, and, and it's a dream in so many ways.
3: It's such a privilege. I it's know. a real privilege. We always talk about like being tired and all of that, but it's such a thrill. But, yeah, but we should say is, that.
2: If you are... You know, doing what you should be doing, which is opening yourself up emotionally and psychologically to inhabit the world of a film, then it should affect you. And if mm-hmm. you are watching four to five films a day mm-hmm. for seven, eight days in a row, mm-hmm. by the time you get to day five, day six, and if you've been on a really like dire run of things that are making you feel bad,
0: yeah.
2: it does affect your mood, right? And you're not, yeah. you know, and it's well, ultimately, it's work. It's It's a pleasure and a privilege to be here. I want to underscore that. All of which is to say that it's such a joy to watch something like the 40-year-old version, which has a clear voice, real spirit, and craft. I want to kind of underline again the craft of the filmmaking. It's not just a fun story. It's beautifully put together and structured. And gives you a lift. You know, I saw it in the morning, and it it made the rest of my day better. That's probably the best thing I could say for a film here. Yeah. She brings such a um,
1: a fresh presence that, you know... Even jokes that might be a little familiar are just kind of funny because she's delivering them, and because a certain sense of timing she has makes it seem like it's a surprise to herself when she's delivering. Which is obviously part of the skill, yeah. uh, um, and so I I, I enjoy that in, in the movie. Um, And also, um, yeah, I mean, some it's it's interesting. The, some of the material is like more surprising than other other parts of it. But the surprising stuff, you know, there's some raunchy stuff which made me laugh because um what they
2: throw in there um also done very honestly as well and not not about you know yeah it it, it, some it sometimes skirts that line with slight caricature but i don't think it ever goes over it with some of the supporting characters yeah um yeah but it always just about stays on the right side right side of that line for me
1: yeah Um, i mean that's that's it it is interesting um that reminds me of another part of the film that um we can talk about which is the kind of culture industry part of it which is it's kind of doing part of it is being critical of that and in, in different layers to that um i mean because i guess we can talk about it a little bit that the play she's directing is you know as, as, as i think you mentioned but it's, it's called harlem have yeah. yeah so and she gets into a situation predictable enough that you know, to put a play like that on, you might have to revise it, depending on the interest groups involved, whether those are funders or, or potential audiences.
2: Um, so that's kind of another part of it as well. Yeah, it's very sharply critical.
1: And, yeah.
0: it's,
2: and it's exceptionally um, moving to see that critique embedded in a vehicle um, with such clout and such presence. This film's going to go on and do big things, I think. Mm-hmm. And to see that critique, which is often, you know... In the, the the film, the things that the films is talk that the film is talking about are often hidden away in group chats, because people don't mm. want to talk about these things in order to to compromise their careers. Um, you know, black creatives specifically in this case, because we have to th- we have to think carefully about what we say, about how we're perceived, um, about what we're allowed to write about, who we who we don't want to piss off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very moving to see that these arguments and and the, these quandaries and and problems addressed, wrestled with, and and ultimately resolved, um, in such a forthright way, in, in su- on such a, a large stage. I, I think it's great. No,
1: I that was the the various uh
2: calling out that
1: goes on there is is very bold, and I and I, I also appreciated that. It reminds me of a strain that's in uh, Bad Hair, another film here, um, directed by Justin Simeon. That was actually one of the opening night films, um, which is a kind of reckoning with um. Um, black culture history by black cultural like actors or participants, you know, and that's been something interesting to watch. Um, I mean, in, in bad hair, it's, you know, it's set in a TV station. That's trying to do a culture shift and is trying to, you know, embrace its influence on the mainstream uh, in a way uh, it's set in like 1989, I think. And in this case, um, Rada Blank's character um, right now kind of has like a sort of residency at a, um, almost caricatured um, sort of... uh, 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 A local theatre. Local theatre, yeah, yeah, exactly, Um, which is putting on kind of heritage-related plays that are very um, overtly, like, affirming and... Yeah, concerned with very racial uplift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something she's trying to like back away from, and and she's conflicted a little bit about because her agent, you know, is trying to get her to take another step in another direction. So it's kind of interesting to see that kind of historicizing going on, and and that kind of search Zola for another step. also forward.
3: can be part of that conversation in a different way, in that it's kind of talking about the uh, racial differences and inequities and in perception that also inform the like social media theater, you know, and that film is really embodying the ways in which we share narratives now on, you know, without without the institutions that are being talked about in bad hair or in the 40 year old version, you know, and even in a space that is so unfiltered and, you know, is not like um, determined by other forms of capital, at least, you know, at first glance that i think that movie did a good job of kind of eking out the ways in which race still colors like who is believed who gets what out of these exchanges
2: and and the thing with bad hair is as you said nick it's coming from a black perspective you know we've seen we've seen stories about that era of cultural production of the the effect the effects of mtv2 and so on and and the narrative is usually like Michael Jack you know MTV was racist Michael Jackson broke the the color barrier etc and the story sometimes ends there but this actually goes within that and looks at some of the in, internal conflicts and 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 obviously the, the conflicts around hair and colorism and and all of that kind of thing and Bad hair's fascinating i mean I, I need to see it again it, it's it's extremely stuffed you both have seen it and spoken about it i think we did yeah on a purely kind of aesthetic level i mean and the production design, the costumes, the attention to detail is really something to behold, particularly to see that milieu um, conjured in, in such a specific way, even though the film is not moving in, in the same way the forty year old version is in terms of its tone. you know bad hair doesn't necessarily have a warm heart by any stretch of the imagination, and I think it's quite proud of that you know I yeah. think you know john landis or, or carpenter and, and Depar- particularly Brian de Palma. Uh, big influences you know not 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 famously warm and cuddly filmmakers (laughs) but nonetheless it is still kind of moving to see that attention to detail yeah um in in clothes and hair again rendered at such scale justin simeon's been away for a while he's been not away actually i don't know what he's been doing but you know he's been working constantly but just in terms of features his last was dear white people so i was always interested to see what he'd come back with next and Again, to tackle such a specific milieu is is very interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if it was... um, You said a dense, kind of rich film. It was almost too dense for an open night film. On the surface, it seems like, oh, this is a great, like, you know, out there horror plot. This would be perfect for... But actually, there's lots of peel back there.
2: Peel. Speaking of peel, that was actually a perfect segue because I was going to say I used a lot of um, white auteur heroes. But actually... Jordan Peele with, with right. us, you know, the way that mm-hmm. um, I was interested to see where Jordan Peele would go after um, Get Out, which is such a lean and tight film. I was wondering whether he would go, he would tighten it up even more mm-hmm. or go big. And he goes like the full M. Night Shyamalan, yeah. um, the full Southland Tales in, yeah. in Us.
3: And just conceptually so ambitious. Very ambitious.
2: Yeah. and And Bad Hair, actually, I think its clearest antecedent is probably peel Mm. whether or not the timelines for that really scan yeah because whether or not bad hair was conceptualized before us i I actually don't know but just in terms of what we have evidence of chronologically in in the cultural yeah i think
3: what i I love about jordan Peel's two films so far is that they kind of um i mean it's not saying anything new about horror or genre cinema but they take these like uh racial realities and then present them in like very embodied ways so you know like you take the notion of cultural appropriation or you take the notion of um imposter syndrome I mean there's so much there I'm just picking a couple things and then you like kind of literalize it in a way um in very like embodied and material ways in the films and I think he just does that in so cleverly and the way the films are structured you you're you're forced to kind of confront those realities in a way that you probably don't in everyday conversation and discussion and I did think that bad hair was also in that realm of of taking like an object and then investing it with all these conversations I think maybe it's not as conceptually tight as peels work I mean we don't have to necessarily talk about them compare them yeah. but um, but I do think that that's I'm curious to see if there's going to be more of that sort of work and whether that's going to be sort of a genre that's going to develop sort of this Peel-influenced um, just world of, of genre cinema that that is able to take on these complex ideas and make them even more complex, but also somehow
0: more accessible. Get your copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment featuring our best of the decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our Best of the Year poll, including write ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Plus, Alex Ross Perry on screenwriting, Phoebe Chen on NYFF sensation Martin Eden, Albert Serra on the scandalous Liberte, along with the reviews, articles, and columns that make every issue of Film Comment a must read. Support nonprofit, independent film journalism. Support Film Comment.
2: And that's, I mean, I guess that I, I agree with you. And that's the other thing about this, fest, my festival experience. Films I've responded to, generally speaking, had a lot of ideas in them. You know, there th- there can be a tendency at, at Sundance or in, in American independent filmmaking at large to stick to certain formulas. You know, I've spoken before of you know knowing exactly when the acoustic guitar is going to come in. That the gun, you know, the gun pops up, you know, near the end of the first act. You You kind of know where you're going. But many films I've seen here, including something like Black Bear, which I don't know if you've discussed, um, by by Larry Levine. We haven't. Um, which uh is I won't go into it in great detail because again it's one of those where the less you know the better going in. But it has a very clear conceptual framework. It's it's very surprising. It has a fantastic performance by Aubrey Plaza, um, who who really goes a hundred and ten percent. So is anyone doing a cliche count of what I've been saying today? <laughs> um, yeah, but she, she's I like, have actually, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: but I'll save we'll, it for we'll the revealed Twitter takedown.
2: Yeah. Orbi is <laughs> great in it, um, and the ubiquitous Christopher Abbott, who's in quite a lot of films here at Sundance this year, is very good. But anyway, long story short, the film has ideas. It's trying to do things. Whether or not they all work, I'm not sure. Mm. But even something is Ostensibly crowd pleasing and straightforward as Palm 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 Springs, Palm Springs, (laughs) is driven um, by by ideas, Hmm. yeah, and conceptual, and then Tesla, which we've just seen as well. Yes, the the antithesis of a straightforward biopic. True. Um. Many, many many ideas. Yeah, I I was saying I almost
1: saw it as like an illustrated um, documentary. But wait, Devika, you were just about to say something.
3: Well, I I was just going to say, you know the the notion that some of these films are heavier on ideas and not always the execution. But I think that, you know, it's maybe true for the documentaries as well, because I'm thinking of Epicentro, which is the new film by Hubert Sopper. Uh, and again, a film that's just brimming with ideas, not sure if they all cohere. Um, and it's set in Cuba and it's sort of, um, a portrait of Cuba, I guess, uh, as told through just these itinerant interviews he does with various characters, uh, primarily children, which makes it, like, I don't know, it's a really kind of whimsical way of entering the world of, uh, contemporary world of Cuba, but also, like, understanding how ideology and propaganda work because, you know, children will often recite these things in the most, like, unselfconscious ways. So a lot of the film kind of... Uh, follows these two girls and is like asking them questions about history and politics. And it's quite entertaining and, and honestly very charming to see how eloquent they are, how they really know um, they don't just know the facts, but they're able to, you know, understand the frameworks of imperialism and propaganda and capitalism and communism, you know, this, The complex nexus of histories that Cuba has always been caught in the midst of and they're able to articulate it so clearly and they're they're you know like prepubescent they're quite young Um, and then also following some other characters and the film kind of I don't know quite how to describe it because there's so much going on in it so one thread that it's exploring is the role of myth making um, in the construction of Cuba not only to people outside of Cuba but its own residence. So um, there's there's this consistent return to the idea of movie magic and the role of cinema as a tool of propaganda. And there's a lot of discussion around the USS Maine sinking and kind of these cross cuts between people recounting, you know, that history and uh, news footage and sort of how it has been referenced in various kinds of media and movies with um, other kind of seminal works of moving image like the Gay film trip to the moon and so it's kind of it's interesting but also you know obviously a little bit it's a it's obvious in a certain sense and that's what i would say for a lot of what the film is doing it's um it's exploring all these ideas in and making sort of obvious juxtapositions but it's a pleasure to watch there's a circularity to it his camera just wanders around these environments you know and it's just he's it's just walking up and down the streets and going up the buildings and the ocean it's just such a i I keep coming back to the word itinerant and it, it genuinely just feels like this constant um movement and this constant stroll through cuba and there's these scenes where he's like, I, I, he's he's forming these relationships with the people that he's filming, but also kind of in a, in a way that implicates his himself as this European man coming here and and making this documentary. There's a very interesting sequence where uh, the kids really want to go into the pool in this like expensive hotel in Havana. And they, they, they you know, they can't afford to really go in and you have to be living there in order to access the pool so he says you know i'll pretend to be an american tourist and i'll pretend that you're my children and like we'll just talk in english and um if they ask me anything i'll just say i don't speak spanish and he does that and they actually managed to hoodwink the security guards and go into the pool and it's just so charming you know they pull this like tiny little heist and he does that for the benefit of the children and i thought it was uh it was kind of a fascinating way of inserting yourself into the politics of this world in this extremely playful and minor and almost trivial way. But that says a lot about, through that, he's able to show a lot about uh, the inequities that structure Cuba. I mean, the children's utter joy at being able to just, you know, play around in the pool. And um, when the little girl, one of the girls, like, hears that the chocolate cake that they're digging into costs $10, which is, a lot over there you know her jaw just drops, and she's like no more you know and so he's able to get these very organic spontaneous reactions that tell us a lot about life there but it's still quite a like ultimately kind of a shallow film that brings together that keeps bringing up these ideas ideas of imperialism utopianism paradise all of that and just kind of leaving it on there and it made me wonder if maybe the director because he seems so self-aware of the inequities of power and privilege that even structure the act of filming an other place because there's even a scene in which there's like uh, an American photographer um, who's taking pictures of just people in their homes and refuses to compensate them in any way even when they ask for money and he says something like it's an honor for them to be photographed by me you know and I think there's a way in which Soper is working in tension with that idea of going in there with a the camera. And I wonder if there's like, in trying not to play into the tropes of demystifying another place, he sort of has maintained a distance that leaves things feeling superficial and sort of objectified. It just made, I think the film is pleasurable to watch, but it's also dissatisfactory, but it. I I wondered what would make it satisfactory and still feel like ethical.
2: Did you see Cold Case Hammershold last no, year? No, no. Well, so get another kind of. Did you see that, Nick? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of a European director right. inserting themselves into different territory, and actually, he he ends up. You know, he's no, Mads Bruger, the Danish journalist, mm-hmm. is kind of notoriously prank, um, mm-hmm. prank happy, provocateur, provocateur. But in this film, he's. <laughs> his aggressive europeanness and, and whiteness and end, ending up looking like walter white from breaking bad actually gives him the access to talk directly openly and casually with white supremacists in, in, in as as the case develops that, that the film is, is investigating okay. so i'm just, just i you know i haven't seen epicentro but right. the, 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 it, you know there's a long a long history of ethically uh, ambiguous ethnographic mm. right. incursions um, and w- I just—I always
3: wonder if there's like a way to do it well. Like, what, how do you negotiate that distance? Is that a project worth pursuing? I think that the, the
2: way to do it is to understand that there's there's no way to to do right. it perfectly and please everybody. But to be honest about those complexities, right. and and try to, again, perhaps not be overly uh, apologetic or self referential because then you end up stymieing right. your, your creativity. Right. Um, but yeah. you know, if it's going to produce things like what you've just said, then it's for the. It's right. for the good. I
3: think allowing criti allowing yourself to be critiqued, and maybe putting putting up with some risk is is better than the constant like self guarding and yeah. trying to evade or self
2: shaming as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just a terrible, you know, terrible white <laughs> European kind of thing. You know? yeah, it, 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 acknowledging that and being being upfront about who you are in that project. Um, I'm just thinking now of like fascinating histories of Jean Rouch and. Uh, Safi Fi right. and all of these yeah. kind of complicated histories of, of ethnographic projects. and uh, Yeah. It's really, it's, it's, I mean, it's not for, not for right now, I suppose, but just <laughs> a really interesting, ir- irresolvable
3: exactly, yeah. I mean, tension, which makes it productive. Yeah, it's It's productive, but also, like you said, it's, it feels irresolvable and, I don't know, I always it becomes an impasse for me sometimes when watching certain kinds of documentaries and I think there's a lot of language that has been developed around these modes that is just language, you know, it doesn't often like get at what it's doing. And, and so, I don't know, I'm, I'm always kind of trying to find a film that allows me to move further in that discussion in some way, and it's it's hard.
1: Yeah, yeah, Epicentro was, it was really, it was a movie I was looking forward to because I'm, I'm a big fan of Darwin's Nightmare and We Come As Friends, which were his previous, Darwin's Nightmare really achieving, yeah, mystifying was a good word. Uh, you know, it's a sense of mystery of a secret history. It's kind of one of these secret history documentaries um, like Adam Curtis w- would do in a way, but with a, with a kind of lurid vividness and also not, as m- not mediated, more kind of rooted in this, like, I don't know, um, man about the world, you know, European about the world um, verite. Um, but there was something about epicentro... That felt like it was uh, like a series of gestures, a collection of gestures that I'd seen before. Like you know the, you know framing it, bookending it with this with this voiceover that's kind of this dreamy thing about cinema, um, and then also bookending it with these you know clearly semi staged but you know beautiful shots of um, a person in close up with like disaster behind him um, looming behind him. And then, I don't know, this kind of travelogue of imperialism, something about it felt like really 20th century rather than like a documentary now. Obviously, that's partly because all this history, you know, it, it, it shows how how the roots go deep and we're all still stuck in the same conflicts, you know. But just something about the actual filmmaking and oh, and then like. Chaplin's Charlotte Chaplin's Una granddaughter Chaplin. Una Chaplin is in it, strumming. They, they, they were just it got
2: sort of mannered at, at times.
1: And I they don't know.
3: were watching Chaplin as Hitler. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh
2: dear, this I'm I'm wincing a little bit hearing you describe. What? Yeah. I'm wincing slightly oh, hearing yeah, you yeah. describe. Yeah. That. That's where it gets good side. But yeah. I think of something recently, like uh, the Human Surge by Eduardo Williams, mm. which is you watch it and it's just so like now. Yes. And it just renders what it renders anything that's not up to that level yeah. as some in a way chronically dated. Which is understandable for, for older filmmakers who are, you know, still looking to develop their own personal canons and, and develop their own styles <laughs> yeah. and not necessarily break with tradition and do something completely new. But yeah. when you do have something like the human surge out there, it can it does run <laughs> the risk of making other yeah. stuff look terrifically dated.
1: Yeah, he, he got surged. what what um yeah but i think it goes back to ash what you were just saying is that maybe some of the things that are bothering me in epicentro are places that stuff he put in there because he's somehow making excuses for what he's made like the voiceover this chaplain cinema stuff you know which all feels very like you know it's too
3: pointed yeah
1: well just but also just kind of dated romanticization through through cinema and, and And Chaplin, whatever. That's
3: the thing. Like, it feels some at some points that he's like overthinking his place. Yeah,
1: yeah. In in
3: this film, and this more organic moments that that produces are are strong. But then there there are those contrived statements as well. Yeah.
2: Speaking of irresolvable tension, I love the idea of like. facing the charge of taking up space in your own film <laughs> 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 which is absolutely a conundrum for the documentary filmmaker yeah. right because yeah. it allows a film to become ostensibly more more relatable or at least more transparent but yet you're st- there's still a construction ob- an obvious construction right. happening so it might mitigate the charge of being distant or disengaged if you just stay behind the camera. You know, when, it doesn't have to be always Nick Broomfield running around, you know, shoving microphones in people's faces. But it's a fine balance. Yeah. And I do like. I'm very intrigued by the idea, especially of a, an older white man taking up <laughs> taking up valuable space in his own film. Well, it's, it's I, a very now but, criticism, and I, I'm here
0: for it. Well,
3: you know, but then someone could be like, "Is it his own film? Whose film is it? And Quite. I don't know." So yeah. we can go really into the weeds with this hole. one. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I love it. Yeah. Um, well, we, we probably um, have... We, let, let's maybe do... Um, let's talk about one more movie. Um, a fiction feature for a change. Um, in, uh, I mean, let's in the sense of I'm going to ask Ash about it. Um, and that movie is um, completely different from what we've been talking about. Minari... Um, so let's go to Arkansas. <laughs> Howdy, y'all.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: I just, can I just ask something sure. that I saw on Twitter recently? Why is it Kansas and Arkansas? Shouldn't it be Kansas and Arkansas?
2: That's the more pressing question. Yeah.
3: I just, can we resolve this irresolvable question? What before? I'm going to say
2: about Minari is that it's very good. Okay. <laughs> but now back to the, the issue of the hour. I grew up thinking it was Arkansas as a young lad in uh, London. And then yeah. imagine my surprise. Yeah. You know. How, what about you, Nébica?
3: I don't think I thought about Arkansas when <laughs> growing up. So. Um, so it's a more recent revelation. It's a re- recent revelation, okay. yeah. Uh, but tell us what happens in Arkansas.
2: It's the story of a young lad who grows up believing that the place he comes from is pronounced differently. It's a film and he by. He becomes an outcast. He becomes an outcast. <laughs> he ends up inserting himself in his own documentaries and he moves to Houston street in new york absolutely very good um the film is directed by lee isaac chung um and it is a lyrical you might say almost Malachian if that's how you say that again cliche i was just um, going to say I'm taking notes. yeah yeah number <laughs> number 2 or 3 uh, or two, 4 or 5 kind to yourself Ooh. Jeez, I'm on the cliche train I today. i
1: here. I think everything's going fine. <laughs> everything's great.
2: I wonder if glass coffins will become popular. Remains to be seen. <laughs> this was a joke that I told Devika yesterday that she did not appreciate. Back to Minari. <laughs> um, it's, the, it's a kind of a beautiful, um, leisurely, um, very character-driven story of a, a Korean family in the 1980s um, who... Move out to rural Arkansas. Um, that the family is the patriarch is um, played by the great Stephen Yoon from Burning and sorry to bother you and um,
3: The Walking Dead. Walking
2: Dead and just fantastic um, performance here. Very t- kind of tightly wound, um, and the film is really kind of centred around the, the family's eight-year-old, the eight-year-old boy David, um, who's got a got like a heart murmur. So he, he's, his health, it, he, it's, it's established very quickly that he's in kind of poor health. Um, and it's never overplayed but it's always kind of there mm-hmm. under underlying the um the story as it advances but it's really a, a beautiful um look at uh, an immigrant experience that, that I, it, the likes of which i haven't seen before in in american cinema um in this particular way beautifully paced beautifully performed um again not very helpful don't want to give away too much because the the way that the film unfolds that that's that's the beauty of it you know it it takes its time but i found it very moving started crying three minutes in and basically didn't stop throughout it it, it hits a very particular emotional pitch which i was very susceptible to on day five of sundance not Mm -hmm. much sleep um but i think it's gonna again gone to do do really great things
3: I'm curious. I I don't know if you can explain this without giving away more of the film. But what do you mean by it's the sort of immigrant narrative you haven't seen? I'm asking because there's a lot of those kinds of stories, and yeah, I, for me it's like I'm trying always to find ones that don't feel, you know, overdone or cliche.
2: There's no um, there's no attempt to kind of like it's, put it this way. It's very focused on on the Korean tradition, and the the, the grandmother comes to stay with them, and it's very. Um, culturally specific in terms of the the references they share with each other and the generational conflicts, the intergenerational conflicts that they have. Um, And I just, it just felt very fresh to me, you know. Um, And it's clearly, or comes from an autobiographical place. Mm. I think when I talk about not necessarily seeing this before, I think I'm talking more about the scale and the style and the tone of it Mm. rather than necessarily subject matter. It's not like we haven't seen uh, immigrant stories before. Right. Um, Asian American immigrant stories. But in this particular instance, there was something about um, the scale of the film, the emotional sweep of it, and the the cultural... Balanced with the cultural specificity of the film that felt very fresh. And at the risk of overhyping, felt like something of a breakthrough. It really did feel like um, this could be the start of, of, of more culturally specific films on a, on a broader scale.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, I, I have to see the film, but I guess I, what I'm kind of getting from what you're saying is a lot of stories about immigrants nowadays have to do with assimilation and that can get kind of tiring because the narratives of those films recycle the exhausting narratives that play out in the everyday kind of lives of...
2: Narratives of, of trauma... Narratives of external um, pressure, discrimination. Exa- yeah, external pressure and, and and films that are kind of overly rousing or, or run the risk of being patronizing. But this also film when doesn't. you're concerned
3: about how you're viewed by the people around you as opposed to you being know...
2: defined by the being being externally defined. Exactly. Yeah, this film that's... is a very internal film. It builds that world very carefully. Um the specific the, the 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 interactions between the eight-year-old boy and the grandmother that that narrative um, development and and the characterization as as they become close is extremely beautiful but it's not designed with a um, I don't think it's designed from the outside in it feels very organic and I think that's what I'm getting at so that is
1: Minari uh, directed by Lee Isaac Chung um, probably previously best known for um although he's done films since then.
2: I mean, you guys have spoken about Time by Garrett Bradley, we I presume. Have.
1: But if you want to say a few words about it, I, I, that's a movie I can't say enough
2: about. Just the, the, the just exhilaration of watching an artist further clarify and define her style um, in the context of a story, which is obviously very personal to the filmmaker, but could have been told in so many, many, many different, and more conventional ways.
3: Great example also of taking up space in your own film. How do you do that and not do that? Because she's really telling the story of this other person through that person's archive too. Um, And I think she kind of makes her presence felt in the way that the film is constructed, but is comfortable with letting someone else take charge of the narrative.
2: And not worrying that that will compromise the overall artistic vision. Mm -hmm.
3: Right. I mean, the film seems like it has a very deliberate artistic vision that's, you know, self-contained and... um, Yeah, and is not making any compromises. Does not have to make any compromises to also give space to the person it's about.
1: Yeah. I mean, just a film... It, it Yeah. When you're at Sundance, you hear a lot about the power of storytelling, um, you know, and this is a movie that shows maybe it's more about the power of original artistic visions, like genuinely original and um, challenging ones that actually pave a new way forward and give you a new way of seeing that might actually cause change. Not that that's my criteria for art, <laughs> but I think it more has to do that than what has become a kind of cri- cliche of even of marketing too, storytelling.
2: And maybe just to circle back, like I think the part of what moved me about Minari is very much connected to what um, moved me about the 40-year-old version and to a lesser extent bad hair. It's the authorship of the story. It is the, the confidence. It is the, the space, the scale allowed, the support given, the platform given to the author of these stories to tell their own stories. We hear that a lot as well. But it has to be done well and it has to be done um, thoughtfully and rigorously and in both cases, although tonally, 40-year-old version and and Minari are very different, they both come from, I think, a a similar place of real emotional truth Mm -hmm. and that is what I found so fresh about them. Yeah. Well, I think... I can't improve on that
1: <laughs> ending, so I think we'll, we'll just go out with that. Um, but uh, tune in for another podcast or two, um, and be sure to subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Um, but thank you, Ash. Thank you, Devika, for thank your you. brilliant insights. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Eingy. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.
0: Get your copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment featuring our best of the decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our annual Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Support nonprofit, independent film journalism. Support Film Comment.